pray. Lord, we just come to this time. We're so grateful for your word that challenges us and strengthens us and uplifts us each and every day, Lord. I pray that we are reading your word and, and even more as we come to this time to reflect on Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. May you bless us and open our minds to hear it and understand it in our hearts to receive it and our bodies to live it out. So we give you thanks and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When my children were young, we had annual passes to Disneyland. And so about twice a month, we would take them to Disneyland and we would enjoy Disneyland as a family. And even when they got into elementary school, on Wednesdays, they got out about 1.30. And so we'd pick them up from school and we'd probably get to Disneyland about 1.30 or about 3 o'clock. And we'd stay for three or four hours and just have a good time as a family. And we did this for many years. And then one year, uh, friends of ours from Colorado came out and they wanted us to go to Disneyland with them. And so their daughters were about five and seven. And I remember that because we had gone to Disneyland many, many times, in essence, it, it lost a little bit of its luster for us. But going with this family and seeing the, the excitement and the happiness that these little girls had at Disneyland, it, it refreshed that excitement for me. As we are going through the book of Ephesians, we've made it through chapter 1, and now we're coming into chapter 2. And I hope that you're excited about the Word of God. And as I'm teaching it to you, and as I know that you're excited and learning and growing, it makes it more exciting for me. And so this morning, as we get into Ephesians 2, 1-10, we're going to talk about how Jesus enables us to really feel alive in our lives. And so we look to uh, chapter 2 this morning. And to, to set up the first three verses of this chapter, I want to tell you a story of a good friend of mine. And he went off a few years ago to hike in the, the California high Sierras. And he was there for a few days having a great time hiking around. And then his trip ended and he came home. And a couple days after he came home, he started to get sick. And then he got sicker and sicker. And so he had to go to the hospital. And at first they didn't know what he had. And so they had the infectious disease specialist look at him. And they started treating him with medication, even though they didn't know exactly what he had. In the end, they found out that he had been bitten by a tick, and that he came down with Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which is very, very serious. In fact, many people die when they get this. Well, one day, the doctor comes in, and she has a smile on her face, and she tells him that he indeed has Rocky Mountain spotted fever. And then he says to her, well, why are you smiling? And she says, because in my education, and as I looked at this, even though I wasn't sure that you had it, I was thinking that that's what you had. And so I've been treating you for it this whole time. And because of that, you are not in danger anymore of dying. And then she told him how serious it was in the beginning and how worried she was for his health. Now think about this for a moment. Think about if at the very beginning, the doctor had told my friend that he very well could die. I mean, that would be very scary for him, and, and he would probably be very, very worried and give his hands fully into the doctor, hoping that the doctor could do something to help him. Well, I tell you that story because it's kind of how Paul sets us up at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. He says in verse 1, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. 
Now, he's not speaking of death literally, of course. He's speaking metaphorically about death. He says, oh, we were alive physically. We were very serious in our sin. Basically, we were dead in our sin. We were spiritually dead. Though, this is a condition that's far more than just our inner life. And we were dead because of our transgressions and our sins, cutting us off from God. This goes back to Genesis 2.17. You remember Adam and Eve when they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and sin came into the world. And basically, it said, if you eat of the fruit, then you will die. And we know that they didn't immediately just fall down and die, but we know that from that point on, their bodies were going to that point where they would ultimately die. And they were dead also in their sinfulness because it separated them from God. Now, while this might not seem like a good news as we hear it, it is important news that we hear to understand that we need help from this spiritual death. So Paul continues in verse 3 when he says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Do you ever feel like you're fighting against yourself? Ephesians 2 here basically tells us that we are kind of fighting against ourselves. Because before we accepted Jesus, not only were we dead in our trespasses and our sins, not only were we in bondage to evil and, and the ways of the devil, but we're also seeking to gratify the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Without Christ, we have no hope. When we live in this way, we will not feel alive. When we follow this course of action, we will not be living the better life. In everything we do in our bodies, we need to try to, to not sin. See, there's something inherent in our flesh that resists God because of our sinful nature. But God is in the redemption business. He is redeeming not just our spirits, but our bodies also, so that we might use our bodies for His glory and for His purposes. Paul tells us that we are deserving of wrath because of our sin, and we are turning away from God and from His goodness. You may have seen the movie Ghostbusters. It is a fun and, and playful movie, and near the end of the movie, there's all these ghosts coming into New York City, and the New York City mayor is very worried. And one of the Ghostbusters says to him, Mayor, this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportions. And the mayor looks at him and says, What do you mean, biblical proportions? To which another Ghostbuster says to him, What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Now, in this movie, it's, it's kind of a, a playful way of talking about the wrath of God. But we need to understand that the wrath of God is very serious. And if we don't take it seriously, we'll miss the real point. See, the real point of God's wrath is it isn't just about anger. Rather, the wrath of God is His righteous judgment of sin and sinners. God's wrath hates evil, despises injustice, and holds us accountable for the sins in our lives, for the sins of our systems in our world. 
And so in Ephesians 2, 3, Paul closes with these words. He says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so the first point of understanding how to live a better life is that we need to understand that without Christ, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. We need to admit this, understand this, if we're going to understand the next point of what Paul wants to tell us. So we move to the next session and we see another great truth. While we understand that we are deserving of wrath because of our sinfulness, Paul goes on to say, but because of God's great love, we were made alive in Christ. The first three verses talk about just the beginning of the story of God's love and grace and God saving us from our deadly condition. Then Ephesians 2.4 starts with two important words. He says, but God. We were stuck in our sin, but God. We disobeyed, but God. We were in bonded to sin, or to Satan, but we didn't have Christ, but God. We were deserving of wrath, but God. He goes on to use these two words to set up basically a really important point. Some really wonderful thoughts. We could continue. We disobeyed, but God. We sinned, but God. We rebelled, but, but God. We wandered away, but God. The, the full verse says this, but God, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy. Notice it talks about God's mercy, God not giving us what we deserve, but God is not only just merciful, he is rich in mercy. Now the Greek word used here really means having a lot of. So if someone is rich, right, they have a lot of money. And so God, it says, has a lot of mercy. And he wants to give that mercy to us. So how did God show us that he is rich in mercy? Well, Paul tells us in verse 5. He says, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Zombie TV shows are quite popular these days, and The Walking Dead is probably the most popular of them all. And if Paul were to use some current language, using kind of maybe the, the Walking Dead, the zombie idea, he might say that we are like zombies, that we are basically walking dead. See, the, the terrible news is that we're in a zombie-like state. But this is a preface to the wonderful news of God's salvation in Christ. Because God is rich in mercy and full of love, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. God made us alive, truly alive, fully alive. In a phrase, this all could be paraphrased, we are zombies no more. If we were to think of it in more practical ways, we would see that now that we are in Christ, we no longer are to live for ourselves, but for the good of others. We no longer seek to fulfill our own desires, our, our own will, but we seek to fulfill the will of God, which calls us to, to love others and, and help others. And don't we see that happening more and more in this time of isolation? We're calling each other more, we're reaching out more, we're checking on each other. In the church, we're checking on our neighbors, we're checking on our family members. We are making sure that everyone is okay, that we still remember we are connected as the body of Christ. Easter was not too long ago, and of course, at Easter, we always talk about 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talk about how this is the, the cornerstone of the Christian faith. But not only that Christ was resurrected, but through faith we are raised with him. Paul talks about this same concept here in a little bit different way when he says in verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now there are many who believe and think of heaven being far away both spatially and temporally, but Ephesians 2.6 can be quite surprising, quite startling, unsettling in a way. Listen again, God raised us, past tense, with Christ and seated us, past tense, in the heavenly realms with Him. Now how is this possible? I mean, we're living here on earth, right? How could He have done this in the past tense? Are we here on earth and in heaven too? And Ephesians 2 kind of says, well, yeah, you're kind of both here and in a sense you're kind of with God in heaven too. See, we have not yet died physically. We have not entered that full age to come where we're going to be with God in heaven. But when we accept Christ, we receive God's grace, and we put our faith in Christ, and in that time, not only are we made alive in Christ, but according to Ephesians 2, we're raised up with Him and seated with Him in heaven. So how, how can we understand that? Well, the reason for this is given in verse 7, where he says, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So let me explain it to you in like this. It's kind of like a, a multi-piece telescope. And so if you think about a telescope, you think maybe the end part of the telescope is like the future, right? The end times, when, when the world will end and, and we'll be with Christ in heaven again. It represents a future where, where Christ will fully reign over creation and, and heaven will come to earth. Another piece of the telescope is the present, right? The, the, the part right now. When God's sovereignty maybe is a little harder to discern. When we experience suffering and injustice and, and death. But in God's reality, the future piece and the present piece, they overlap. It can be thought of as a already and not yet. We are already living in the kingdom of God, which Christ has established when he came. So we're living in that kingdom even now, right here on earth. Through the Spirit, the future is real to us now. Yet at the same time, we still live in the present with its pains and sorrows and, and sin. We can see God at work today, but we can also see the future invading present because of what Christ has done. Thus, in a way, we have already been raised with Christ. In another way, we still yearn for that resurrection which is to come. Well, it can sound confusing. Let me just say this. The key to understanding this is the reality of God's presence and power is in our life now. And it will be with us all the way into the future. He is helping us experience the riches of His grace and respond with grace to others likewise. And so the second part of really understanding what it means to, to, to live a better life, the secret of living a better life, is that we need to live for Christ and care for others. And so then we get to our, our final section, our final point, and these next two verses might be the most important words you could hear. It comes from Ephesians 2, 8-9. 
And Paul says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Remember, we were dead in our transgressions. And so if we were dead, then we needed saving from our transgressions, right? Every year you go to the beach, and at the beach you will see lifeguards there, right? And one of the important purposes of a lifeguard is to make sure that no one drowns in the ocean, because many people can drown every year in the ocean. It happens. And so the lifeguard is to be there to watch what's going on in the water to make sure that no one drowns. And so what usually happens is uh, someone's out in the ocean and, and they get caught in a riptide and the, and the riptide starts to pull them out deeper into the ocean. Of course, they don't want to be deeper in the ocean, so they start to swim in, but they're swimming against the riptide and they can't do it. They, they are losing ground. The more they try to swim in, the more the riptide pulls them out. They don't understand that you need to swim parallel to the riptide until you get past it and then you can come in. Well, so what ends up happening is that they don't have a lifeguard come to save them and in time they will just get more and more tired and ultimately it will lead to their drowning. And so what happens is the, the lifeguard is looking out and sees a person start to get in trouble. And they see that they're not able to swim in. And so immediately the, the lifeguard grabs the flotation device and runs out to where the person is and gives the flotation device to the person and then begins to swim in a way because they've been trained in a way to get out of the riptide and all the way to shore and to bring the person to safety. They could not save themselves. They needed saving in that moment. See, we do not have the ability to save ourselves from our sin. We do not have the power to do this, but God does have the power, and He's done this way back in time. Even when Adam and Eve first sinned, God had a plan to save us from our sin. Because of His great love for us, He made us alive by sending Christ to die for our sins, and thus paying the penalty that is owed and covering our sins for us. He has the ability and the power to do this. This is His gift to us. It is not from ourselves. It cannot be done by our works. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves except put our faith in Christ, the one who can come and save us. But there is more. Once we are saved in Christ, that is not the whole story. See, from the time we accept Christ as our Savior to the, the day of our death, God graciously allows us to experience more of His salvation by bringing us to greater and greater fullness. Thus we are able to say with gratitude that we are saved, we will be saved, and we have been saved. When I was in my late 30s, I went to a doctor appointment, I had a, a physical checkup, and, and the doctor discovered that my cholesterol was very high. And so at first we didn't want to put me on medication because I was only in my 30s. And so we came up with a plan to, to better my diet and to get more exercise and, and hope that this would, would take care of the problem. So I talked with Tammy and we worked out a new diet and, and I began to exercise more. And a few months went by and I went back to see the doctor. Not only did my cholesterol not go down, but it actually went up. It got worse. 
And at this point, as I was talking with the doctor, we realized that there was nothing that I could do to improve my condition on my own. And so the doctor gave me medication to help with that. And ever since then, my cholesterol has been very low, a great number. See, this is true for us in our sin. We want to do it on our own. We think that we can do it on our own, and so we try, and we try, but in the end, we can't do it on our own. We need Christ's help. We need God's gift of salvation. And so Paul reminds us in verse 10 how this is true. He says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So see, it's not just being saved. But God saves us so that we can do good works. We can't, we can't save ourselves on our own, and we can't do these good works for God on our own. Another way of saying this is that you and I are God's masterpiece. Now, I imagine that you probably didn't wake up this morning, walk over to the mirror, and look at the mirror and say, you are God's masterpiece. You are indeed a masterpiece. I would wager to bet that you probably didn't do that this morning. I realize that you might not feel like a masterpiece today. Maybe it was even difficult for you to get out of bed today. Perhaps you're having difficulty with the aging process and your body is feeling more and more aches and you just don't feel really great. Maybe this time of isolation has kind of brought you down and, and mentally and emotionally you're, you're struggling. And if that's the case, I, I would love to talk with you, I encourage you to talk with, with others if you're dealing with some emotional and mental issues because of this time of isolation. But because of all of this, because of our life, because of so many factors, there's going to be times when we might not feel like God's masterpiece. But see, the truth is, we're not a masterpiece because we're so talented, or because we're so capable, or because we're so good-looking. We're God's masterpiece because of what Christ has done for us. He has brought His grace into our lives. He has made us into this masterpiece by transforming us to be more like Christ, to be this new creature in Christ so that we can desire and ultimately live up to this good works that God wants to do in and through our lives. God does this because he loves you, because you are so special, because you are his masterpiece. And that's the third point of understanding how to live a better life. That we can know how wonderful and special we are because we are God's creation, we are God's masterpiece, and that he has created good works for us to do, and he enables us to do them. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to go with a friend of mine to ride on his catamaran. We went out to the ocean, and I'd never been on a catamaran before, so it was really a great experience for me. And as we were sailing along out in the ocean, um, he asked me if I wanted to go out on the tra trapeze. Now, if you don't know what trapeze is, it's this, this line that, that attaches to the mast, and you wear this belt, and you connect it to the belt, and then you kind of you stand on the end of the pontoon, and you just lean out. Now what's also amazing about a catamaran is if you get enough speed, one of the pontoons will actually come off the water. And so there we were, we're, we're sailing along in the water, we're going at a pretty good pace because the pontoon is off of the water a good distance, and I'm on the edge and I'm leaning out over this pontoon. And the wind is blowing and we're sailing along and it was an exciting experience. It was so exciting and I felt so alive 
in that moment. You know another moment when I really feel alive? When I have had the opportunity to pray with someone and when they receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And at the moment they ask Christ to come into their life and He floods their life with His love and His grace and His forgiveness and His empowerment and His transformation and this all comes upon them and they feel fully alive and I feel fully alive having experienced that with them. See, God wants us to understand that without Christ, we are dead in our transgressions. Even when we've accepted Christ, if we're not living for Christ, if we're not seeking Christ every day, then we will still not feel fully alive. I hope that you understand today that one of the secrets to living a better life is to understand that Christ is not only your Savior, the one who saves you from your sins, but Christ is your Lord, the one who guides you into this amazing and wonderful life where you can feel fully alive doing these good works for Him. Fully living the life that Christ has for you. And so when Christ comes into your life in that way, and God's Spirit rushes into your life in that way, you will feel fully alive. Let us pray.